Blog Talk Radio. Sort of con- 
war of initiative uh, supporters and uh, and opposers, which it just personally disgusts me. Um, politics, as a rule, pretty much disgusts me as well. So you won't hear me being very specifically political on this show. However, I will be very political when it comes to the concepts. I'll be very specific and very uh, open to conversation, debate, discussion, however you want to see it, about the things that politics is about, not the actual politics of it, but what's at the core? What are these things about? Um, Most states, in fact, as far as I know, every single state that's passed a law that allows for legalization or decriminalization in a limited scope or medical or whatever, Every one of those states, as much as I would like to call this progress, it is progress of sorts, but it's a progress that has such limits on it that, in fact, in many cases, exposes innocent people to more risk. And you say to yourself, well, how can that be? You know, there's a law that says if you have a card, you're allowed to grow six plants. Well, yeah, that's what the law says. But what if, for whatever reason, I don't know how many uh, people that wrote these laws that have these limits ever grew a crop of any kind whatsoever. Um, If you were to say, I'm a farmer, I grow tomatoes or pumpkins or zucchini squash, whatever it is, and I'm only allowed to grow 500 plants or 150 or some, pick your number, it doesn't matter. Well, what happens if one day the gophers come and kill half of them or the caterpillars or the frost or just name your blight, okay? It doesn't make any kind of sense to have these plant limit numbers. And then you go deeper into that. And in Colorado in particular, I have a lot of people that call me up. Most of them don't end up fighting their cases, but I hear about the cases. I had a legal amount of plants but I had over the amount I was allowed to possess. So they came in, they raided me, and they took everything, and now I'm facing criminal charges. In Colorado, where it's legal. This weekend I met a guy um, who's actually a renowned breeder who claims he's going to engage us and and, uh, deal with some support. I hope he does. I hope to talk to him soon. Um, But he's about to go to a jury trial because in Washington State, where it's legal – um, he got pulled over on Christmas morning, um, and the cop determined because his eyes were a little red that he was under the influence of cannabis, and they have their ridiculous nanogram test that showed that he was under the influence. Well, we all know how uh, that really doesn't make sense, and the way that they created their scale is in no way, shape, or form applicable to any broad brush, broad brush application. It's not even possible. So, but he's facing a jury trial over uh, a DUI, over cannabis, in a state where it's legal. So, for everybody who thinks that somehow, uh, you know, passing your little legislation is going to uh, be the end of this, I just struggle uh, to urge you, I don't struggle to urge you, I struggle to get you to get it. (laughs) What is really at stake, Okay. And, and people say, well, baby steps, we got to at least, you know, we'll make progress, we'll fix it later. Well, 
you know, I, I spoke actually. I had a I put a Facebook post this week. I I happened to uh, get Facebooky for some reason. I don't typically do that, but um, this week I did, and I uh, made a couple of posts that had to do with my experience in this uh, in this event and the people I spoke with and the people I noticed supporting and opposing uh, California's uh, ballot initiative, Prop 64, which you know. I'm not even going to get into that specifically, but I'm talking about the concept of it all. And I looked at who was in support of this, and there was lawyers and even public uh, or, or expert witnesses uh, that were support, supporting this thing. And I'm thinking to myself, why would you guys be supporting a bill that is supposed to um, ultimately put you out of business? Or does it? And you got to really think about that. You know, if you have a criminal defense lawyer supporting a legalization bill that would strip him of most of his clients, most of his easy money, no, it won't. It won't at all. Um, I listened to some retired law enforcement people try to explain, you know, persuasively, intelligent people, but they're also, you know, getting paid by a police pension. Um, as much as you want to tell me that you're in support of uh, legalization, to me that's half the battle. You know, a lot of things are legal, but still bad laws, really terrible, terrible laws. So I started looking up civil rights, and, and not that you know I'm completely not familiar, but I wasn't necessarily familiar with specifics. And I chose a slice of civil rights that I think is maybe one of the most important ones, women's rights. And I, and I thought to myself, you know, at the time that in the Revolutionary War, when what was to become Americans shed their blood against an invincible army, uh, the greatest army in the world, um, and they took them on knowing that they probably didn't have much of a chance, but they took them on knowing that they had to win, and they did. This was not baby steps, and this was not steps that were going to be changed later. I mean, of course, America changed a lot, but the idea of overthrowing a tyrant – the idea of, of cutting yourself free from a monarchy that was oppressing, uh, you know, its its colonies, that was pretty clear. There was never going back. We were never going to go back to Britain and say, you know what, <sighs> you know, we're going to go back under your rule a little bit, but we're just going to slowly wean ourselves off of you. It doesn't happen. So if you look at women's rights and, and, and the acts and the the, uh, the actions that took place, that took it from where women could own property to ultimately able to vote, ultimately uh, laws that, that demand equal pay for equal work. Uh, these things never went backwards. Although we haven't completed the job, and in, in, in all practical application, uh, in many cases women still don't make as much as men for the same work, but they have the ability to fight their case. They have law that backs them up that says, well, you're entitled to that. And that's never going to go back. We're never going to go back and say, you know what, you women, you got to vote for a while, but I just don't think that it's, you're up to it. I just don't think that that was a good choice. No, we have a woman that's running for president of the United States, for God's sake. Okay? That happened because of true progress. So why is it that when it comes to cannabis, that we're willing to accept small steps that we're going to ultimately have to turn over and undo. I don't understand it. 
and I have yet to have anybody that will explain it to me in a way that makes sense. So, again, I welcome anybody and everybody to come on to this show and have this conversation. If you really believe that your initiative that's going to allow for some very limited access by certain people and, and very limited amount of ability for certain people to be able to provide this, sell it, um, and everybody else doesn't get to, explain to me how we're going to allow this and then turn around and unallow it. And then the next thing I want to say is explain to me why your position of it has to be regulated and taxed heavily because that's the only way it's going to get through. If you compare it to anything else that it's like, cannabis is more like turmeric than it is like aspirin. Cannabis is more like uh, chamomile than it is like wine. Okay, And why is that? Why? Because it's a plant that can grow anywhere in the world virtually. Under the right circumstances, it can grow literally anywhere in the world. It doesn't take a, an expertise to grow it, even to extract it. And most importantly, there has never been a recorded fatality. You can't say that about aspirin. I don't know. I'm pretty sure you can, can't say that. You can say that about chamomile, but I'm not positive. At the end of the day, it's certainly more like a supplement, like a food that can be used to treat ailments than anything else on the planet. The only reason why this regulation BS is so important is because there's money to be made, and we're willing to sell out. So I'm going to stop there. If anybody wants to debate me on this, I'm going to give you an opportunity. Just contact me at 951-436-6312 personally. That's my personal line. Or you can call this line at 646-929-2495. All right, we've got Chris Lewandowski on the line. He has a very short amount of time to speak. Um, a big part of this show is going to be talking about Chris and his case and some of the things that we've been doing. So I know he's only got a few minutes to talk, so we're going to bring you up live. On the air, welcome to the show, Chris. Joe, how are you doing? Good to talk to you. I am doing fantastic. They got me on a on a roll today. I started thinking back to the weekend and conversations I've had subsequently, and, uh, you know, I just keep digging in deeper to my position. How do you feel about all those things? I, I am so pleased, Joe. Honestly, everything that you guys have done this weekend was amazing. I thank you for the invite out, you know, being able to enjoy a cannabis cup and be able to spread the good word of the medicine at the same time was really awesome. Well, you know, it's interesting. When we come out to an event, um, I go out of my way to have a purpose. You know, we always would want to let people know that we exist and that, you know, if somebody wants to donate money or, or become a member, all that. But I always like to come with a specific purpose. And this weekend we had a dual purpose. One was to get letters of support uh, uh, for your upcoming sentencing and second was to get uh, clemency letters for Craig Cecil, the life, uh, lifer. And uh, we were able to accomplish that in pretty quick work. In fact, we didn't have to come back on Sunday because we got her all done on Saturday. And we got about 100 letters uh, on both of your accounts. And we were able to bring awareness to uh, your case and cases like that. And uh, I think we were able to have some real dialogue uh, with people that – otherwise would have been ignorant to the fact that um, veterans are not only being denied access to cannabis, even though there's been um, acts and memos and all these other things that are supposed to allow for it, 
uh, it's not the case at all. And that you can still be criminally charged for very small amounts of cannabis in many parts of the country, um, no problem, just like that, and the, and, and the consequences that come after that. One of the things that I believe is most important of all of this, of everything that's happened since uh, you've come aboard and, and become part of the human solution and 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 are are working with us to rally support for you, is that we have opened up a mission uh, to engage other civil rights groups uh, on on this behalf. And as of today, we have four groups um, that have agreed informally and soon to be formally uh, to work together on behalf of this case. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what's going on on that in that arena? Because I think this is huge news uh, as so little time are groups willing to work together. Yeah, you know, it's, it's huge. And, you know, at this point, whatever brings groups together, I don't care. Um, it doesn't scare me that it's on my back. Yes, because of the reality of the situation, but to have uh, groups like the Human Solution as well as the American Cannabis Refugee uh, Patients at a Time and the Weed for Warriors Project all looking at the big picture of this evolution. There is so many veterans and so many people that are not receiving access to this medicine. Obviously, the veteran aspect hits very close to home for me, but when you think about patients in all of these states that have there's medicine that they could be using, and they yeah, it, uh, it, it's wild. You know, we have it's 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 almost a moot point, but I know that not everybody listening gets it, um, and so we just keep saying it. It's a drumbeat. But the truth is, the government, whether it's the military, the VA, or or mainstream insurances, whatever, will easily hand out dozens of prescriptions that will complicate your life to say the very least and have potentially dangerous and fatal side effects and they will reject completely the notion that this uh, nutritional supplement that has never killed anybody ever in the history of man they reject it entirely it, it, it just makes no sense no it, it really is disgusting I mean when you think um, about the spectrum of people that uh, are introduced to a pain pill. You think about professional athletes, you think about, you know, people getting hurt overseas, so obviously the military gets pulled into that. You know, any type of a job or an environment where somebody can get severely hurt or injured, the reactionary plan to that problem is to give them this very heavily sedating pill that really doesn't, you know, have any type of uh, inflammatory traits to it. Um, it doesn't really have anything other than really numb the body out and to distract you from this pain that's going on. And the reality of the situation is, is that I have found is that it's easier to actually live, you know, and stretch through or work with the pain when it comes to cannabis. Whereas with the opiates, I felt my body becoming very rigid and almost to where I felt like a, a statue hardening up from the inside out to where it was just making it even harder for my body to move. It was and then you complain for that, so they give you another pill. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it just seems that uh, the, the the longer I've come in contact with somebody who's been working with their health care provider, um, especially the VA, 
the longer you address an issue, the 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 larger your pill box ends up being. You know, you, I see these guys and they show me the pills that they're prescribed and they pop open today's you know allotment and today is broken into three categories of of you know morning, afternoon, and evening. And each one of those little boxes has you know five to ten pills in it. I'm thinking to myself, you're taking you're taking twenty five to thirty pills in a day. What, what what what's happening inside your body's chemistry? And the truth is, nobody even knows. You know these, no, these complicated it, chemical reactions, and it, it's insane. And there's definitely not a proper way to measure it to see how bad it is. All they do is just start looking for systems shutting down, and that's when they'll change your regimen. Right. Yeah, you're about to die like, here. Oh, Let's go ahead, cut that one back. Yeah. <laughs> and I laugh very uh, obviously. It's not you know it, it's a frustrated laugh. Uh, it. it, it just makes me want to, you know, just tear my face off when it comes to this stuff. Well, listen, I know you have a limited amount of time, um, and and we did speak a lot about your case prior to this on the on the last show that we did. And remember, all of our shows are archived. So if you missed this, I, if you go back and listen to the last interview with Chris, you can hear all about his story. But we've got a huge breakthrough that's going on, and this is really the first announcement of it. Um, as of the weekend. We were gathering character reference letters for your pending sentencing on the 19th of October, which is less than about a week away. Um, we were, uh, you know, I was actually planning on making that trip. We, had, we were raising funds for the Midwest chapter to travel 280 miles to get there, and we were coordinating efforts with uh, local veterans organizations to pack the courtrooms. But since this time, we've had a breakthrough. Why don't you tell us about it? Well, as far as uh, new counselors come on, we had to uh, get rid of some of the other attorneys that were involved. Uh, the direction the case went, we just were not agreeing. Uh, so what we have now is this new counsel. They uh, are requesting a continuance from the courts, and then we're also going to enter in a uh, reversal of our plea, if they allow us to, and that will be going on on Friday. And the plan as of now is that we, if granted all of this, uh, we'll be looking at a trial in and around the beginning of January or February time frame. So what that's going to do, number one, okay, let's just let's just take a step back for for everybody who doesn't understand. Uh, Chris, in a nutshell, had agreed to a, basically a blind plea deal, which meant he was agreeing to pleading guilty to the crime of cultivation, and he was going to throw himself on the mercy of the court. So there was no, not even a an understanding of what might likely happen. Um, and he was advised that this was the best thing to do, and he listened to the advice of counsel. Come to find out that there's, you know, five years in prison at stake here, and it's Oklahoma where, you know, there's where the buffalo roam, and, and there's, not <laughs> always, uh, <laughs> there's not always justice. Um, and, and, and when there's not, there's not anybody to say anything about it. So nope. the truth is you could have got hung out to dry, and you've been stuck. And so after we started talking, and of course, you know, obviously you've been talking with a lot of people and a lot of organizations, and we put the word out how, you know, important this case was, and all of a sudden, um, and I know Amy Don Hildebrand, I talked to her last night, and she, she told me that she'd been working in the background uh, communicating with um, not only public officials, but uh, a number of attorneys and uh, uh, ultimately, we had one willing to step up, and it's not just an attorney, but apparently he's quite a uh, quite a capable attorney in this arena. 
and um, he's willing to take and, the case on. Go ahead. Oh, and he's also a veteran of uh, the United yes. States Army. So th- knowing that we, having a veteran helping fighting a veteran fight, we kind of agree on uh, the fact that, yeah, we have to fight this to the end. It's not something where we're going to uh, just kind of curtsy off to the to the shadows. Exactly. And uh, so, so anyways, this guy's willing to come aboard and substitute counsel without a giant retainer being paid up front. However, um, it's not a pro bono case, and we do need to raise some funds. So um, we're in the preliminary stages of coordinating with these four groups um, and organizing a fundraising effort. Um, we all know how difficult it is to raise money. Um, we're not going to do it through a, through a GoFundMe account or any of the other ways that, you know, they take a cutoff. Um, as of now, we're going to run this through the 501c3, and 100% of proceeds are going to be pledged to, to this cause until, the, until it's paid off. So uh, there's not going to be any admin fees, and there's not going to be any, you know, <coughs> processing fees and all the other fees that, you know, suck the life out of a campaign. Um, every dollar is going to go in, and every dollar is tax deductible. So we're, we're beginning um, to coordinate uh, the leaders of these four groups to come up with a best way to uh, present this to the public, and then we're going to be looking for other organizations to come forward to sponsor this rather than um, help coordinate it. We're just going to you know, look for endorsements of other organizations so it doesn't get more complicated as it goes forward. Um, that's this needs I can't happen. thank you enough. <laughs> that the well, coordination. You know, I told you when I we heard... first started working together. Yep. If you're willing to dig in with me, I'm willing to go and do what it takes. And it's not just me; it's our, an amazing team that we have. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm so pleased that it all happened after our elections because we got an amazing team that's that's working together right now. So, um, hey. I th- Honestly, Joe, your team is amazing, and that's why I said, you know, all this works out, and I'm able to work with you guys. I'm so excited for it, especially to bring that element of the veteran voice to the table and to talk about the fact that how many guys are not okay with the fact that they're being forced to build. I I hadn't taken a major prescription pill before I was in the Marine Corps. That wasn't anything that was ever offered up to me. It wasn't really something that was, you know, so to think about that and what, that really went from from the time that I, you know, back in 2004 when I joined the Marine Corps to literally being on more than 13 pills a day by the time I left. I mean, that's a huge difference. And, and not just, oh, you hurt your arm, you need to be on these for, you know, 20 days and then call it good. You know, you, no, you're going to be on these for essentially ever, and you're not going to be right without them. I, I mean, that, wow. it's terrible that, you know, brothers and sisters having that happen to them every single day. And some of them think it's the greatest thing ever because, you know, you get this great sense of you're doing the right thing. You finally talk to somebody. It's going to make everything better. And then stuff starts to spiral and, oh, well, we'll just change it or we'll change the dose. We'll, we'll figure this out. You know, it'll only take another 30 years of meds. We're not going to find out why you need the meds. We're just going to give them to you. Well, you know, one of the things that's coming of this, and obviously you've said many times, and, and it's so important that people realize this, when you stand up and fight your case, you're no longer fighting for yourself. You're all of a sudden now fighting for the greater good. You're fighting for humanity at that point because if you're just fighting for yourself, you'll probably just take the quick plea deal and duck out and get back to your life quick as you can. When you take a public stand, it becomes bigger than yourself, and you realize that, and you're willing to do it anyways, and that's what the human solution is all about. 
we're we're looking for you know the few, the proud, the the warriors, the ones that are willing to stand up and fight, and that's the only Absolutely. way we're going to really make this difference. And um, I know that in your message here it's crossing over the line of just being about cannabis it's getting into the more broad civil rights the more broad veterans rights issues and that's what we're trying to do is get out of the choir the choir knows the song we're trying to get out there and speak to the mainstream public they're afraid i had uh, a veteran come over to my place last night yesterday and we were talking about um some some options outside of what she was dealing with. And her husband was also a Marine veteran. Both of them were Marine veterans. And, you know, the word that I keep getting from these veterans is they're afraid. They're afraid to lose their benefits. They're afraid to get cut off. They're afraid to to somehow have all that hard work and that sacrifice that they've made be cut off at the knees and no longer get whatever it was that they were getting as benefits from it. And it's a real fear. But it, it, go ahead. it really is. I, I mean, the amount of veterans that I know that I call closet uh, cannabis healers, uh, because they are. They, there's that, that fear is absolutely real. I mean, for me, it's actually really easy because, you know, at this point, my fear is being labeled a felon instead of a veteran. You know, to be to consider myself as a veteran who uses cannabis, that doesn't scare me in any way, shape, or form. In fact, I think uh, that you know, my journey may be a little bit peacefuler or more peaceful than others, but I don't negate anybody for, for, for not accepting it. You know what I mean? I wish they would do the same thing for me. Don't tell me sure. that because I'm using cannabis, I'm wrong. I don't tell you because you're using pills, you're wrong. I think I could, exactly. but I don't. <laughs> no, and I, I, and I find that the hypocrisy, um, you know, just so loud. Uh, it's as loud as the silence of the fear. Um, and, you know, the the judgment people will put on this plant and expect that you will not judge them for their alcohol and pill use because they're, no. quote, unquote, legal. And, uh, you know, that, but that's part of what this is about. And I believe the answer is education. The answer is the truth. The answer is enlightenment. And as more and more mainstream groups stand together and start to shed light on this, you know how it is. The Army doesn't send you know, two guys out to go fulfill a major mission. They have two guys backed up by a hundred guys, backed up by a thousand guys, backed up by everything else we have. And they know that as they're going in that there's that support. Well that's what we're trying to do is bring together the support that says, look, if you're willing to stand up, you're not out there by yourself. You've got politicians that are standing up with you. You've got activists, advocates, you've got people that'll have your back in so many different ways that you don't have to have that fear of just being up there all alone, having a little red dot on your forehead and watching your, you know, just waiting for it to happen. So, um, In, the the one thing I would that I would like to speak a little better on on that fear, especially if it happens to be any veteran that is listening, I can say for myself as a hundred percent disabled vet rated by the VA, the only consequence that ever came from me telling them that I was using cannabis was that they told me they would no longer give me opiates or any other type of pain management pill. So if that is the fear, then please, any veteran that is fearing that, don't tell them because you, want to, you need those pills. But if that, is your, if that doesn't affect you, then by all means, come out of the woodworks, 
talk to people about it, learn more about it, and understand that it really is a, a wonderful healing tool. And there's a whole community that would love to accept new members, i.e. the Weed for Warriors Project, would love to have new veterans coming in and learning and experiencing healing and seeing how yeah, wonderful this is and being a part of the events and stuff. Well, and you're, you're absolutely right. Um, I, I know um, – I know that you're uh, you're you're short on time, but I, I'm going to bring Craig up here real quick, and and just oh, so that you guys can have a second to talk. Craig Cecil, um, I'm here right now with Chris Lewandowski. He's the Marine that we were talking about that we were supporting, um, and he's he's here with me right now. If you wanted to say hi real quick before he has to go. Hello, Chris. Yes, I've heard your story, and as you can probably understand, I I do understand your story. So. Uh, but it sounds like we have some great advocates behind us that are hopefully straight to the south. Absolutely, and your your story personally hit home just because of the the backwardsness of it, and I can't believe it. And I'm I, me as an individual, I want to apologize just on the fact that you're you're living a life incarcerated over a mess over a plant, and that's just sad and it's sick. well aware most people don't even know that that's possible especially in our country and and i'm living proof that it is and there's you know at least a hundred others like me absolutely I, I that was the same road i was facing when i first walked into the courtroom they told me that my my sentencing was going to be two to life and they wanted an average of five years of plant and that i mean the, the thought of that and the the severity of it just is so scary Absolutely. Same, and I, I'm pretty okay. sure the same would hold true in Oklahoma. Oh, absolutely. Craig, I, I have some uh, some news for you, actually. Um, we were at this event that I was telling you about um, over the weekend, and um, we were able to get uh, 100 letters for your clemency uh, on, on Saturday, and they're being mailed um, in groups. Uh, we're going we're gonna to do five separate mailings um, to the pardon attorney, and um, that's, that's all happening right now. The first batch is going out today, and they're going to continue going out. At the same time, we got 100 letters of uh, reference for uh, Chris, and uh, we did it all in one day.
I, I want to do a, a soundbite um, of you telling the community how important it is to stand together, put down your differences, and work together because there are so few cannabis organizations that are willing to shake off their own personal BS, whatever it is, and get together. And we're reaching outside of that into more mainstream groups. But I think if you could just give a shout-out that says how important it is to put down your differences and work together so that we can end this once and for all. Well, yes, and, and that is one thing that I have learned. As you know, I, I've seen the metamorphosis of Human Solution International that so many people that started out as such strong components of THI are now, you know, on their own. It really due to reasons that have, you know, nothing to do with the overall fight. And what I've seen, though, is, is as you know, I, I'm in contact with several different groups, and, and people kind of have alienated themselves from other groups for no reason at all. Everybody in these different groups has their own talent. I mean, some people have talent with electronic media. Some people have talent with, uh, you know, with news uh, media. Some people have talent with uh, money gathering. Uh, fundraising, some people have, you know, different talents at shows and, you know, and uh, and calling together people. And all these groups really, you know, ought to sit down and realize what their individual skill is and rely on the other groups for their skills. And, and really, by doing such, not only will they make themselves stronger, but they'll make the whole coalition stronger by everybody, you know, by getting the benefit of everybody's strengths. And and that's where, you know, I hope that, you know, this will come together when people realize that, you know, they they have strengths in, you know, in a particular area and they have weaknesses in other areas that other people can cover. And I think that's what, you know, hopefully will draw people together into a, a bigger coalition to, you know, to help uh, the decriminalization cause as well as the... Uh, uh, the advocacy for people like me and others in prison for a plan. I, th I think that's where relief will come. That was perfect. That was I couldn't have scripted that better. Um, and, and, and you're right. And that's what we're we're working on with Chris's case right now, as as uh, you know, such an egregious case that we've already got a number of groups willing to stand together. And I and I want to use that as an example. And my, my goal is exactly what you said, is to take the strengths of our group and put it together, and, and ultimately this coalition can be much greater than the sum of each of our individual efforts. Oh, and I believe it, you know, it, it can be and it would. I, like I say, as you know, I'm in contact with um, at least eight groups, you know, has its own personality and its own strengths. Well, and that's absolutely the, the case. Uh, um, uh, really, the damage that comes from, from uh, you know, people alienating themselves or other people uh, is so much worse than you would imagine because the only people it really hurts are those people that we would actually benefit. You know, because the rest of us are just volunteers, <laughs> so you can't really hurt us. It, the, the only the only victim are, are the people that we are all supposed to be helping. So I'm going to take that little uh, statement you made, and I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to use it, and um, I'm going to hope 
that you, as as a champion of our work, you are the, 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 the benefactor of our work. You're the one who is the reason why, you know, you and everybody like you is the reason why we're out here fighting. Um, we should be fighting against the forces that are keeping you locked up rather than each other. Yes, and, and that, that I think would make all the difference is, you know, let's call it from a Let's not waste all those efforts, you know, trying to get away from other people with with other talents. <laughs> well, so what what's happening up in Terre Haute this week? Well, you, you'd have a laugh. Is that I had a bunch of people sitting in the cell about an hour or so ago, and I asked them, uh, what, what news should I tell Joe? <laughs> and it was unanimous around the room that everybody said makeup. <laughs> what that is, is the uh, prison commissary just started selling women's makeup, like eyeliner and foundation and you know, whatever. I, I, I guess I'm politically incorrect to call it women's makeup. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nowadays, I, I don't, I don't think you could even go that far. <laughs> but uh, as a result of some legal wranglings and all that, there's more and more of the uh, what they're calling the GERD people, G-I-R-D, gender identity something disorder. Okay. And it's, it's basically. From my vantage point, it's men wearing, wearing long hair and some of them with implanted breasts and all kinds of implants. And, and, uh, well, now, as a result of some uh, court fights, they have to uh, provide men in a men's prison with what I consider to be a woman's makeup. Wow. <laughs> uh, the other sad part is, is as you know, uh, prisoners are forever complaining that uh, they're not getting the medical treatment and all that that you know that they think they should have, and and in most cases they're right. These are things that are really necessities of life. They're just not getting, and a lot of times we hear it's because of cost or because of you know similar related uh, concerns. But yet a lot of these gender identity people get uh, these hormone regimes that cost over a thousand dollars a week. And there's getting to be more and more of them in all the prisons. Is oh, I know. It, 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 it's crazy. You know, I've never heard of anybody having a mascara deficiency. Um, you know, I just never even heard of that. And I, I can remember when I was locked up in the Twin Towers, I was right next to what they called the homosexual, uh, um, um, whatever they called the dorm, and those guys were given all kinds of extras that even the trustees didn't have access to. And I thought to myself, you know, if somebody was to be stuck there for a long time, they they might benefit from playing the part. You know, it's like it, it, it just doesn't make any sense that in a place where your rights are supposedly limited, they should be limited equally. And, and it doesn't make any sense that some group, and, and I have no issue with anybody's choices of any kind whatsoever, but medical needs are medical needs, and um, other personal choices are just that, and I don't have an opinion about them one way or the other, but I certainly um, would have a problem to hear that somebody was being denied uh, a necessary medication while another was given a, a 
what you would call an elective treatment. It's true, especially like hernias. Unless a hernia is advanced beyond a, a certain level, I mean, far beyond, you know, a, a discomfort level, they won't perform the corrective surgery on them. But yet, like Chelsea Manning, who is uh, the soldier who stole the secrets and gave them the WikiLeaks, he's in federal prison, and they're about to pay for a sex change operation for him. Wow. And I'd hate to guess how much those cost. Wow. But, but yet a lot of these guys can't get a simple hernia operation. And have to live with pain and discomfort for years on end. Unbelievable. Well, you know, it just seems that um, I think even once we end prohibition that we're still going to have plenty of prison reform work to do because a lot of the problems in the institutional uh, prison system don't have anything to do with cannabis. They're just institutional-type problems. And obviously uh, the influences that would allow an elective uh, treatment or, or commissary item over a necessity are influenced by something, and it certainly probably has nothing to do with the will of the people. Now that's true, because you know why would they, you know, choose that operation over, you know, hernia operations that are an obvious need on, you know, by so many people here. Yeah, it doesn't, uh, you know, the 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 whole uh, the whole concept of PC is is problematic in my world. I. Um, I, I think that if we could just substitute PC for uh, CS, which would be common sense, I think we'd be a whole lot better. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Like the, the most, most severe punishment, such as life imprisonment, ought to be reserved for violent crimes and violent offenders, not well, marijuana conspirators. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I you know, as, as we're sort of broadening our mission. Um, I, I, I talk more about not just no one should go to jail for a plant, but no one should be in, locked out for a, a victimless crime. And I think that that is really an important thing to look at, uh, the things that society is willing to tolerate and the things it's not. That was your first beep, so you've got uh, a, a, a short spot left. Uh, I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Well, thank you, and I want to thank everybody for... Um Remembering us here behind the razor wire and behind all those guard towers out the window right now. And thank you for you and so many like you that, you know, I'd like to see uh, more united in helping us. And I think it would be easier on you and uh, much more <laughs> beneficial to us. Absolutely. So. All right, Craig. Well, uh, as always, uh, it's good to talk to you, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Okay, thank you, and thank you, everybody, all again. Bye now. Excellent. All right, Craig got to say goodbye on his own terms this time without getting cut off. And um, most of the time, he's in the middle of saying something, and he gets cut off. So I want everybody to understand, um, this radio show is a podcast. A podcast is recorded from the beginning till the end. Um, there's software that makes it possible to... Uh, take a clip out of this. Um, I have some software. Um, I don't have time. But if I could get somebody to help uh, fashion an MP3 file from Craig's statement um, and, and cobble it together in such a way uh, that is cohesive and concise, I would be very appreciative. 
And again, if you're able to do that or willing to do that, please contact me personally at 951-436-6312. Um, this show is brought to you by the Coffee Party Radio Network and the Coffee Party. And, you know, I'm really pleased to announce again that the Coffee Party has uh, uh, voted that the Human Solution is going to be a partner uh, organization <coughs> and we're we're working on a public statement to solidify that but it's 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 great that we're beginning to reach out of just the cannabis community and I say just because as civil rights issues go it's one of them there's a number of them and a lot of them are overlapped and interwoven under this gigantic problem we have called the war on drugs um, if you didn't realize, Chris Lewandowski dropped off. He had another interview that he needed to do, um, but I'm not going to cut off uh, Craig, who's serving a life term in federal prison, um, for anything. So when Craig's on, um, that's just how it works. All right, we have um, a lot to go. We have a lot of things happening in the Midwest, and we're going to be having a discussion with uh, some of the Midwest members um, right now we have uh, Pamela Johnson and Mandy Thomas on the line, and um, we're going to be bringing them up shortly. Um, but i got a little bit more I want to say. Uh, at this event uh, on the weekend, uh, there were you know, people coming up and, again, talking about you know, California's initiative, and I, I compare it to any of the bad initiatives out there. I'm, I don't have to name it, and I don't have to say anything more about it. But the problem is, is I keep being told that this is the only choice we have, that some massive regulation and taxation is the only possible way that cannabis is ever going to be allowed to become allowed in America. And I think to myself, well, that's not true at all, because cannabis is going to be in America whether it's legal or not. It always has. It always will be. There's not anything that the government can do that will stop us from growing, transporting, concentrating, selling, giving away, trading, all of the things we do with this stuff. There's not a single law or a single consequence that will keep us from doing it. The only thing that's going to make a difference is how it gets done, how much it costs the people that need it. Um, you know, I had I had some heavy-duty conversations with people about the validity of some of these regulation laws, and they're telling me, well, not everybody can grow it. I says, well, actually, everybody can grow it. Some can grow it better than others, but anybody can grow a cannabis plant, and that's just the truth. If you're in an apartment uh, and you can afford one little light, you can grow a plant. It might not be the very best plant, but you can grow some medicine to suit your needs. And what people that have ever grown the cannabis plant will find out is that the simple act of growing it is therapeutic. Growing something that you know what you're putting into it and how you're growing it and ultimately consuming it as medicine, and it was grown with the intent of being medicine, you would just be surprised at what can come of that. Now, can everybody grow enough for their needs? Probably not. Is it important to have people that are good at growing it grow it for those that can't? Probably. Is it important to make sure that we have all the different types available for all the different things that we need it for? Absolutely. 
Is massive regulation going to make that happen? Absolutely not. Um, the, the, the next thing to consider is the black market, okay? If your taxing and regulating is going to create a market that's going to cost the legal growers more than it's worth to grow their stuff, only certain ones will grow it, ones that are funded already. So that's going to cut out a huge chunk of people. If it costs too much to get licensing or, or you know, to even have the ability to get into a lottery or whatever the hell your city does, um, it limits most of the people from the ability to do that. Can anybody open up a liquor store? No. You have to pass certain qualifications. You have to be able to get a liquor license. Um, but virtually everybody can. Does it cost you tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars to do that? No, it doesn't. Um, can anybody have a liquor store that doesn't sell alcohol but does sell tobacco? Yeah, you just have to, you know, sign up, get your name on the line, and you know, um, that's just how it is. There's not, there's not some lottery that says, oh, you get to be a tobacco salesman, but not you, because you're not zoned right. You're not um, able to pay for these exorbitant bonds and licenses that are involved. So. By its own nature, all this regulation does is thin the herd to the haves and cuts out the have-nots. Um, just how it is, like it or not. Well, I'm being told I just have to get over it because that's just how it's going to be. Well, the truth is, as long as that's the way it is, people are still going to be doing it without a license. Guess what? If I was to be an outlaw, I would be able to grow whatever I wanted without asking anybody's permission. Of course, I'm taking a chance that it'll get found and get taken from me. But at the end of the day, uh, I'm probably better suited doing that than trying to apply for all the licensing and all the BS. And I'd be able to provide for people. Uh, oh, God, I am so sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> I appreciate uh, being being corrected. I, I get going on a on a mission, and my eyes are terrible now, so when I – when I look through, I'm not thinking about who I'm talking about, and I'm just reading off the cuff, so I'll correct myself very shortly. Anyways, the bottom line is, unless a law removes the black market by its action, not by its legislative script, not by the words, the letter of the law, or even the spirit of the law, but the actual practice of the law, unless the black market just goes away entirely, it's ineffective. It hasn't done what it set out to do. If the purpose of these laws are to make cannabis legal, meaning it's no longer a crime, then it should do that. But if it still leaves a place for the black market to thrive, then it didn't work. It's a failure by its own nature. There is very little black market cigarettes, even though cigarettes are taxed to death, very little black market. There's some but not a thriving black market. There's no Mexican cartel that's swinging bootleg cigarettes because it's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's too easy to get them. There's not an illegal beer black market. Why? Because it's just too cheap to buy it legally with quotes on it. Yeah, it's not entirely legal because there's things you can't do, but most of those things you can't do will affect somebody else's freedom and livelihood meaning where you can be and, and all of those things. And, I, you know, that's a whole other conversation. But we're talking about the possession, 
cultivation, distribution, manufacture, concentration, transportation, and all of that of this particular substance. Those are the things we're talking about. And I just want everybody to think about what they're supporting, what they're proposing is a good step, because how are you going to go to the next step? What's your plan? And I'm going to officially apologize to Pamela Jacobson, who <laughs> was clearly <laughs> uh, her name, and I, I, I don't like it when people uh, say my name wrong, so um, I, you have my humble apology. All right, before we bring on Mandy and Pamela, um, I want to talk about a dear friend and a friend of the Human Solution, um, and her name is Cher Christie. Well, Cher Christie is now in federal prison today. I hadn't talked to her in a couple of days. Uh, she was supposed to come on the show before she had to surrender herself. Um, but it didn't happen. She had a lot of personal issues. And uh, I sent her a message yesterday that said, has there been any changes? And this was her reply. Hi, Joe. Oh, there hasn't been any changes yet. I'm just at the prison right now, just walking in. My brother and sister-in-law are here. They're going to hang out from the wall to see him. Roger did put a motion in through his attorney friend. His name is Don Hart in Alaska, a good person to know. Thank you always. Thank you for always thinking about me and helping so many other people. Many blessings to you and Elizabeth. And uh, that was the last word she said to me as a free woman. Cher Christie had no victim. Cher Christie was helping uh, the THC ministry in Hawaii, her husband Roger Christie, providing cannabis to people that needed it under the banner of their religious expression. Um, I, I was well aware of how they operated. Um, they did everything correct as could be. Um, Roger was, of course, targeted and held without without bond and without uh, charges for almost four years. Uh, they were supposed to be able to get some sort of a religious defense. That got shot down uh, as a result of shoddy counsel, as so many times happens, especially against the federal government. They ended up taking a plea deal. Sheriff Christie had no mandatory minimum. She had no other record. She had no other issues with the government. Um, she's over 60 years old, and uh, she was given 27 months, over two years in federal prison. Um, this is during a time when most people, if you ask them, believe that that's not even possible. The feds are not going after anybody anymore. This is all but done, all but over. Please listen to me. It's not over, and it's not going to be over until we make it over. And I don't care what state law you have or don't have. If you look up the Controlled Substances Act and you look at the superiority of federal law over state law, um, as much as the Tenth Amendment is supposed to stand for something, in federal court it doesn't. It doesn't. And just this year alone, I know of several people who have gone to federal prison for pot, for pot alone, with no victim and very little fanfare. 
That's what the human solution is here to put an end to, and I encourage you to help us do that. Um, we got a lot of stuff going on. We're at the halfway point of the show. I'm going to, once again, thank the Coffee Party Radio Network for making this show possible. If you want to call in, the number is area code 646-929-2495. And uh, we have our wonderful screener, Noncompliant Mary. Noncompliant Mary is also a warrior, a champion, and a member of the Human Solutions Board. And uh, we'll be talking to her in a future show, maybe even later on today. We'll see how time holds up. Um, we have a lot going on in the Midwest right now. And there's always more going on than we hear about. But we have a number of cases that are happening right now. And um, they're happening in a very hostile place. We have Kansas and Oklahoma, Missouri, um, uh, all over the place in, in the, the Midwest region where there are very few laws protecting anybody. And, you know, every time that we get a little gain, I hear Tennessee just passed a law that allows uh, limited decriminalization. These steps are important, folks. They're important for a lot of reasons. If you can make a breakthrough from zero tolerance to decriminalization, decriminalization of a small amount, hey, that's a step. You can That's a foothold you can grab onto. That's a forward step. And, and as that happens and stays that way and becomes more normal, so will ultimately the end of prohibition. California's had a decrim bill for years, um, and, you know, possession of less than an ounce is a small traffic ticket. However, they don't ever charge you with that. They don't charge you with possession. They charge you with possession with intent to sell. They charge you with transportation. They charge you with conspiracy. They charge you with manufacturing. They charge you with everything but possession. I don't know that I've ever seen anybody that's come to our organization for assistance with the possession charge. It's always more than that. So be mindful of that as we accept these small gains as sufficient they're a small step, and hopefully what they'll do is give us momentum. Hopefully they will bring us to a place where we can realize how important it is to make the real changes necessary. Hopefully that is the case. So I'm going to bring up Pamela Jacobson now, and uh, again, my formal apologies. Um, Pamela, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. Thank you, Joe. Thank you for having me back on the show. Oh, you are always welcome to come on. And uh, again, <laughs> we, I, I get going, you know, in a frenzy sometimes, and I, I don't even bother looking at what's happening. And uh, sometimes I crash and burn a little bit. So tell, tell me what's happening out there. Well, a lot's been going on since I talked to you last. Um, my case in Kansas, um, a couple of months ago, they offered to defer my charges to a misdemeanor and I agreed and I waited for papers and I finally received the papers and when I got the papers I read them and I'm thinking what are they trying to do to me the papers stated that I admitted guilt to all the charges that I had been charged with that I was remorseful for what I had done um, it was talking about community service drug rehab, probation, uh, just 
all kind of things that would have been impossible for me. And in the end, I was waiving all my rights to a trial in this case and leaving it up to the DA and the judge as to what my fate were. So I could not do that. And I contacted some people from Bleeding Kansas and to see what I needed to do. And so I finally ended up, after talking to several people, I called my attorney back and I told him, if I sign this paper, I'm signing my death sentence and I can't do this. And his exact words were, sign the papers or it's going to trial. And it scared me so bad, the tone in his voice and the way he said it, that I panicked. I didn't know what to do at that point. And so I started reaching out to everybody I could. And a couple of weeks ago, an attorney from Florida agreed to take over my case. And the day that that happened, my public defender from Kansas called and told me that, well, he asked me if I would agree to take a lesser charge if they would drop it to a misdemeanor. And I said, we just discussed this Monday, and you told me the DA refused to drop it. And he said, well, since talking to me that Monday, he had got some new information about my case and that the DA had decided to go ahead and drop it to a misdemeanor possession charge if I would take that that charge. And I agreed if they would get rid of all the felony charges they had on me and I would not be labeled a felon, that I would take one for the team and take the little misdemeanor charge. Well, that's been over a week ago. I cannot get an exact amount that they want. I cannot... I haven't received any papers yet. Um, I have court scheduled for the last Wednesday of this month, and I know if it's not all taken care of by then, we're going to trial. And so I'm really sitting here. I tried to call my attorney today. I did not get a response. Uh, I've tried a couple of times this week. I'm trying to get an exact figure that my public defender's wanting. He named off several different things that I was going to have to pay for, court costs, booking fees, attorney fees, um, just a a list of things. And it's running up, of course, more than I could pay at one time. And so in our conversation, I asked him if it would be okay if I made payments. I'm on disability. I only draw 600 a month. There was no way I could do what he was asking of me, and they refused to let me do that and told me I had to pay it all at one time or there was no deal. And so now I'm in the process of trying to raise funds. Well, I guess is, is if you can get in front of a judge – and and you know even when it comes to to this, my guess, and I've I, I've I've seen a lot of judges, and I've sat in a lot of courtrooms, and not not to say that I you know I can't give you legal advice, and I can't uh, I, I I can't be a hundred percent certain, uh, but I've never seen a court 
I've seen DAs play this. It's a it's a game of of, of Mexican bluff, and um, that's a that's a it's a card game where uh, you don't see your own cards, and it, it's it's a game that uh, the DAs will play. They'll they'll play, you know, hold hold the stakes up high, and and no matter what, and and then they have a lot of a lot of wiggle room, but they don't they don't act like they're willing to give it. Um, occasionally they, you know, they stop and they just won't do it. But the judge typically, number one, the judge is going to want this thing settled. He does not want to do a trial. No judge wants to do a trial. They are, their schedules are so packed. Uh, you know, they have trials scheduled for months in advance and he doesn't want to do a trial over this guaranteed. Number two, the judge is going to want that DA to, to accept a settlement and if the only contingent is that you can't make the entirety of the payment at once, my guess is the judge will advise strongly that DA to accept that. It doesn't mean, you know, I, I, I can't, can't guarantee it, but if there's anything that I could say um, that's most likely to be, you know, um, accepted into terms would be an agreement to make this payment, whatever that is. Well, I, I begged him to let me make payments on it, and he said they had tried this before and had been burnt so many times. But the attorney, or the, the attorney, he said that's what the DA right. said. I, right, I right, right. Not, I have yet to even appear in court. So got it. Well, um, that's that's where my I'm guess just, would be that they're they're playing a lot of bluster because they want you to do everything you know that they want and you know frankly they have recourse if you don't make the payment they can they can resend the whole deal that's and, and call you in so they that's do have they do you. have recourse they have plenty of recourse he said there's no way we can get our money if you don't pay it and i said you can issue a warrant for my arrest and lock me up exactly. if i don't pay it yep. he didn't have a comment to it but exactly. that, that's their that was the demands from the phone call at the beginning of the week, well, at the end, right. about, about Thursday of last week. So I've been waiting on papers since then and haven't received anything. And, of course, if they send me deferment papers like they did before, I won't be able to do that. And right. my, my surgeon, she is just beside herself because I'm having to deal with this is, in the shape I'm in, and she's even written a letter to Kansas telling them that she knew I was on the cannabis regimen and that it would be detrimental to my health to take that from me. And it seems like it doesn't matter what evidence I put before these people. They just keep on and keep on. And it's now, it's like, it's down to money. And... That's what I told him when I talked to him this past week. It's come down to being a money game now. And you know I'm out when you start playing the money game. And that's not fair. Well, I, I, I do know this, that you haven't made an appearance yet, and you've already won huge games. So I I I, I believe very strongly, and that's based on a lot of experience in a lot of courtrooms, that they're just trying to get it all done without a shot being fired. They don't want to have to spend any hours dealing with this case 
because they got so many other cases to deal with. And, you know, if a couple of phone calls and some pressure can get you to just cough up the money they want, then why would they do anything more? Why would they try any harder? Um, the judge hasn't issued any rulings whatsoever. The judge probably hasn't even seen the case yet. So, you know, in in my opinion, where you're standing right now is actually a much stronger position than you give yourself credit for. Um, in In a lot of cases, they don't bow at all. They say, no, we're not going to give you anything. In, in my first case, their offer to me was seven years. That was it. They weren't willing to blink, and I just kept going forward. And finally, just before trial, they dismissed my case because they didn't. They really didn't want to fight this case. But they they just figured if with enough pressure and enough lack of of uh, uh, of giving that I would accept whatever they had to offer. And that was the first case. The second case didn't go so smooth, but in the end, I won because I didn't give up and I didn't bow down. And I just know, I know it's so hard, and I know with the, the, the physical um, uh, struggles that you're going through, it makes it even harder. And I, and I know that you have a huge amount of support from the, from the locals, uh, from our Midwest chapter, from Bleeding Kansas, from, from some of the other advocacy groups. Uh, and, and we're we're support rich and cash poor, <laughs> and I know that uh, you know over time, if we're able to start raising some real money, this kind of stuff will be a no problem, a drop in the hat. But you know, unfortunately, I think the the combined net worth of all of these groups put together is is, is you know <laughs> a pittance. None of us make a salary of any kind. I mean, it's all volunteers coming together to try to make the world better. So. Um, well, I came to Colorado as an American medical refugee myself, and that's how right. I met Amy Donald. And um, I was fortunate enough to meet people like her and Andy Hall with the Hope Grows Foundation. They donated my regimen to me, and yeah. it has. They see the difference. My doctors see the difference, and now that cannabis has gotten me better. It's like I got to be prosecuted for using it, and I have a medical card. Sure, I do, but it doesn't mean anything when you leave the state of Colorado. So exactly. But they didn't say anything about the fentanyl or the hydrocodone or the Xanax or the Lyrica or any of the other narcotics that were in the car because they were pharmaceuticals. And since talking no, to you last year, it's, it's yeah, very, very true, pretty- and that's that's what this is all about. That's the that's the nature of this struggle, and um, you know, it. it I, I wish they'd only pick up on uh, the strong. I wish they would only uh, they would only they would only pick on you know those of us that had uh, the strength to stand up to them, but they don't. <laughs> they, they these are, these people are thugs. These people are gangsters. They go after the weak of the herd. And they feed off of us like jackals. I mean, it's 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 unconscionable the way that they operate. And unfortunately, or fortunately, I've been able to witness, you know, both from a defendant's point of view and a and a prisoner's point of view, and an advocate's point of view. And I just know that whenever we summon the courage to just stay and fight, and we can rally even a handful of people to, to stand our ground, we always, always, 
end up victorious, even if the victory isn't uh, the the four out of four. We always end up victorious, always. And I and I well, am so thing. impressed with your at least willingness to you know to 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 stand up and keep going. You know, I mean, it's it, it takes courage just to do that. Well, one thing this experience has taught me is that cannabis does heal, and I have been it does recently <laughs> it's a real deal been fighting. I've been fighting for legalization in my home state now, and that's my next goal is to bring it to Mississippi. And I'm dealing with the Bible Belt down there, and I've had people come at me and say I'm a Christian, and all I can do is look at them and say I'm a Christian too. And then when they ask me about, well, you can't use cannabis and be a Christian, um, well, <laughs> my, faith, my faith my faith, in my Bible said God made all plants bearing seed and placed upon this earth for us to nurture and heal our bodies. And that's my faith, and that's what my Bible reads. And man made cannabis bad. God didn't make a mistake by placing that plant on this earth. So that's my answer for them. Well, and, and and you know what, you're you're righteous, and and it doesn't matter what your faith is. Um, I mean, it does matter, but it, it doesn't matter in the big scope. Uh, uh, it what matters is that this is right. It is a plant. It's not a a, right. a, a, a plant possessed by evil. It's not a a plant that has superpowers other than it's got the tremendous ability to heal. It's it's a plant, <laughs> and you can, you know, as I spoke earlier in the, in the show, it, it's it's more akin to turmeric and chamomile than it is to even willow bark or aspirin. It, it it has never killed anybody, and it has helped so many. And if people could well, just people need people need to ask themselves if there's no medical benefit to it. Why is the pharmaceutical companies trying so hard to duplicate it? <laughs> <laughs> Ask themselves about the patent <laughs> As we've had exactly. these conversations You know Go check the hand out It'll tell you well, listen, to I'm going to bring up Mandy Thomas right now And um, uh, Mandy is um, Quickly becoming one of my uh, Superheroes And uh, she's helping to organize um, Support not only for you But for so many others And I believe we've got a few other people That are going to be joining the conversation So let's bring up Mandy real quick And see who else uh, should be Live on the mic right now, um, Mandy Thomas. Welcome to the show. Mandy Thomas is uh, currently um, heading up our Midwest chapter, and uh, she is doing a fantastic job of uh, you know bringing together uh, some good folks for good work. And um, I'm I'm just very excited uh, to see the direction of what's happening in the Midwest. Hey, Joe, how's it going out there? It is going fantastic. Um, you know, if you've been listening, which you have, or at least you, the, the button says you have, uh, there's a lot going on right now. And um, I'm not sure who all uh, you want to be live mic right now. So um, you have, how many other people did you want to come on when we're doing our update? Um, well, I'm not sure uh, who, who all we have joining us right now. Well, I have Dolores from the American Cannabis Nurses Association. I don't know if she was connected to you. 
Yes, yes. Um, and actually, she didn't get a chance to call in. Um, I did have a couple points for her um, that she wanted to bring up, but since she's already here, let's uh, let's go ahead and Dolores bring her is here. on. Okay, I'm going to bring her live, and then I. I, I have Lisa Sublet, and she can talk or not. She said she's just listening, but I just got to hear that voice. I just love Lisa. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. Lisa, uh, Lisa, Lisa definitely um, been a huge guiding light in this to help us kind of realign after we face some growing pains and some internal issues. And so, I, I you know, Joe, anybody that's been a part of this, definitely let's I think let's bring them on and let's let's have an active live uh, panel discussion about what's been going on okay. in Kansas because I think if we put our heads together, that's the best way we're going to move forward. Beautiful. Let's do this. I'm going to go ahead and bring up Dolores first. Dolores, Hi. Uh, welcome to the Hi. show. How are you doing today? Hi. Good. How are you doing, Joe? Mandy, I am Lisa. Doing fantastic. Glad to talk to you. Can now, you tell me? I'm going to go ahead and bring up Lisa next, and then I'm going to sort of lay some ground rules for having so many live mics on the air, and then and then we'll move okay. forward. So just give me one second, okay. and then we'll uh, every, everybody will get plenty of chance to talk. Now we have Lisa Sublet from Bleeding Kansas, and also an amazing friend of the show. Lisa, welcome to the show. Hi, Joe. Uh, you thought you, you were just going to listen, didn't you? <laughs> you know, I never know. Uh, actually, I heard you and Mandy talking about me while I was in the bathroom, and I was like, oh, boy, I think Joe wants to talk to me. <laughs> You I better hurry up. Okay. All right. So, so here's the deal. We I have you know uh, my, my phone. My phone doesn't mute. So if you you might want to just take me off and then just bring me back up if you if you need me for anything. Well, if you've got if you've got any background noise, I'll do that. Right now, everything seems quiet. So the key to this having five live <laughs> mics is that we don't have background noise. So if you're in a place that's quiet, no problem. Keep your keep your mic live. If you're in a place that is got um, uh, con- noise of any kind, please mute your phone and then just unmute it when you want to talk. Um, so basically we have, right now we have Pamela Jacobson, who is a defendant and a patient um, who has been on the show uh, before, and uh, she's facing uh, a huge conflict between uh, a plea deal and her ability to satisfy its demands. Um, we have Dolores from uh, American Cannabis Nurses Association, and uh, first time on the show, I believe. Dolores, have you been on the show before? I don't think so. Yes, I was on on the DOJ 95 show over Labor Day weekend. Oh, we got it. Okay, now I remember. I apologize. Yeah, yeah you, no have problem. To, you have to. You have to forgive me. I have 14 working brain cells, and seven of them are on strike at any given time. Why they give me the reins to the show, I have no idea. <laughs> I know exactly who you are, and I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm once again very grateful to speak with you. <laughs> oh, well, thanks God, for I having me back. Name. Yes, and thanks for putting up with me. <laughs> uh, we have My Lisa pleasure. Sublet again from Bleeding Kansas, and Mandy Thomas, who is uh, from the Human Solution, and just an amazing person in general. Um, all right, Mandy, I'm going to go ahead and let you begin this discussion. Um, you have a lot. You're kind of at the core of my support team uh, in the Midwest right now, and uh, you've got a lot of uh, major cases on your shoulder, although you just heard we've got Chris Lewandowski um, going to be re- uh, resetting his deal, um, so there's not going to be this need to get a bunch of people to Oklahoma on the 19th. So we've got a, a reprieve on that for now. 
They, yeah, and, and, and honestly, Joe, um, that uh, is a huge relief in of itself um, because, as you know, organizing efforts like that, and, and I'm sure many of the other panelists on here can agree, are, it's just a huge effort um, to undertake. And um, it would be great to get a few of these key players um, that are available to go um, down there so that we can all meet face-to-face and kind of establish a game plan and, and witness what goes on in that courtroom so we have a better better form game plan to establish um, what to do from that point forward. Uh, we're, we're facing the same uh, potential for, uh, for Shauna Banda's case um, because, uh, and this is an update I feel that we really need to uh, bring forward about uh, her case uh, because, unfortunately, uh, over the past couple of days, some new developments have occurred. Um, Shauna's health uh, isn't doing very, very well right now, um, unfortunately. Um, I talked to her um, and, and some people that are with her there in Boulder, Colorado. Um, she did go to the hospital, I believe it was yesterday, um, and they um, <clears throat> she went in through the emergency room and there was a surgeon there that had previously uh, operated on her and he recognized um, the case after he reviewed it and he uh, he went ahead and admitted her. So she's currently admitted um, in the hospital there in Boulder. Um, I believe I haven't gotten an update since this afternoon, um, but I believe that the surgeon was going to be discussing uh, the option of surgery um, this afternoon, and they should know something by uh, the morning. Um, if, if there is any more recent updates, because I, I don't want to, you know, bother Shauna uh, and her support team right now because I want them to focus on her and, and getting her uh, her back on the mend, whichever way this hospital stay goes, because uh, her case has really taken some hard hits. Um, a lot of people that are uh, inside a lot of the inner workings of the Midwest um, and the cases we deal with in the Midwest, especially uh, Shauna's, um, can attest that um, there's just been a lot of uh, – a lot of internal issues surrounding it, and there's been a lot, a lot of issues that have been made public um, that probably would have been better handled internally. And as we know, Joe, these cases are stressful enough on patients as it is, um, especially patients like Shauna, like Pamela, um, like uh, like Chris, and, and like this uh, and a new case that I picked up that we're going to go offer court support on November 3rd for. These people have strained financial resources as it is. Um, they're facing major health complications that are straining their resources even more. And then they end up facing these horrific cases in these just, just I don't need, I don't need, I can't even word to it right now, which is a challenge for me. <laughs> but these outrageous uh, circumstances surrounding their cases. And it's no wonder that people like Shauna end up having their health deteriorate further because um, any of these type of conditions um, that are that are chronic or that are catastrophic, um, a lot of patients can attest that stress is just one of the hugest detrimental factors in their in their livelihoods. And when they're fighting these type of cases, one thing um, as patient advocates uh, are concerned and are well aware of um, is we have to keep the health of the patient. Um, on our on, on the top of our, our our priority list, because if these patients aren't healthy enough to sit in a courtroom to stand trial, then how are they going to be healthy enough to defend themselves and put the time and energy into their cases that needs to be devoted? Um, and 
it's just a recipe for disaster across the board. Um, And so um, I think that um, after the recent circumstances surrounding her case and a few other circumstances in the activism community here in Kansas, um, I think it's it's now, now is a great time for everybody to step back and kind of, and kind of reevaluate some things. Um, And the good thing about uh, chaos is is it can be organized and sometimes um, it gives you a better uh, starting point to rebuild from. And so um, I think there is. That's uh, a good way to put it. Chaos sometimes gives you that place where you have nothing to lose and you're willing to go and take a chance that you might not otherwise take. Yeah, definitely. And, And, you know, Joe, um, I've always been uh, fairly vocal about uh, my support for uh, cannabis use, especially for patients. Um, but I, 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 until Shauna's case really, uh, really caught my attention, um, I wasn't ever active, and um, I wasn't ever um, donating my full potential towards the cause. But then once I saw a, a case like hers, that hit so close to home, and, and, and I'm sure a lot of people um, that have joined this uh, joined this movement, especially here in Kansas, which, as we know, the laws here and the ways to go about changing the laws are some of the most um, difficult ones to go about on, on many levels. Um, and, and Lisa can actually talk more about that than I can because her her organization, there is Leading Kansas, they uh, they they formed a really great roadmap on how to go about changing the laws, and uh, there's no need to reinvent the wheel. We just need to learn from what's worked and what hasn't um, because uh, with, with a state as difficult as Kansas, if we can make any form of progress here, then I think it would set the standard for the nation. Um, we have a very conservative government. We have a very strict uh, system to go about uh, bringing about change. And um, we have really a lot of brick walls that uh, in these cases for patients and uh, in really uh, in one jurisdiction, it might be a slap on the wrist. I know somebody um, that told me the other day uh, that here in a county in Northeast County, they got a slap on the wrist and they, and they lowered it down to a littering ticket. But then we have people like Shauna that's facing 30 years or people like Pamela, you know, that's, that's facing these just ridiculous hurdles. Uh, just because of the jurisdiction they got, they got. Um, well, let, let's stop there just for one second. Um, first of all, I, I, I want to address that point that you just made, which is a huge point in the broader picture. Uh, and I also want to address the point of Kansas uh, legislation and the and the what's required to change a law in Kansas. And I don't know how many other states are that way, but it blew me away when I heard about it. Before we get going, I just want everybody to to know if you're on the line right now and you have a question for any of our panelists, um, the only way I can know that is if you hang up and call back. <clears throat> and if you call back and you talk to our wonderful non-compliant Mary Screener and say, I've got a question for the panel, she'll let me know so I know to bring you uh, on live. Um, if you if you've got somebody listening on the computer and you want to call in, and uh, talk to any of our guests here about this um, very important topic. Um, all you got to do is pick up your phone and call 646-929-2495, and our lovely screener Mary will bring you aboard. Okay, so let's let's address the first point. And we have a nationwide audience, actually an international audience, 
We have some folks from Canada that call in sometimes too, and even from Mexico. Most of the states, as far as I know, have a ballot initiative, a referendum process, by which if a group of people, usually there's a, a PAC involved, a political action committee, um, that's a 501c4 typically, set up uh, to do political action to support a, a candidate or legislation, get enough signatures, um, they're able to get a, uh, a proposed bill on the ballot. Uh, it has to go through approvals and this and that, but essentially if you get uh, a certain amount of the percentage of your voters in your district or of the state, as the case may be, uh, to sign this initiative, it can get put up on a ballot and then voted on in the general election. Uh, Kansas doesn't have that, doesn't have it at all. So the only way a law can get passed in Kansas is through the state legislation. So a bill needs to be drafted, submitted, and gone through both houses of the uh, of the government and then signed by the governor. Um, that's so different from California, obviously. We have uh, most of our major laws that affect us have been ballot initiatives. We have a major tax reform that was a ballot initiative back in the 70s that still holds solid today. And our Prop 215, although it's got its issues for 20 years, we've had some patient rights. For We led the way in this. Um, and if it wasn't for the ballot initiative, frankly, I don't think we would have gotten anywhere. So um, that's a huge point. The next point, and this is important for people to realize, for everybody who thinks that you're done when you get your little law passed, the, the fact is even when you have a law, the sentiment of every district, of every county, of every district, of every region, of every city is going to be different. In California, we have one law, and we have a second law, SB 420, that backs it up. But we have 40-some counties in California, and depending on where you are, your justice is going to be night and day different. There are some counties that do not tolerate anything, and other ones will kind of wave you through with the slap on a hand. Uh, the same thing is happening in states that have no laws protecting them. Kansas is one of them. There's places where, you know, a progressive uh, district attorney, um, a, a judge, a, a, an area that's not heavily lobbied by a particular set of organizations, they see a little common sense. They go, you know, the people are kind of okay with this. Why should we spend our tax dollars dealing with these kind of cases when there's real cases to be dealt with? Um, there's some of that happening now. But unfortunately... When it happens, people get the sense of complacency. They get the sense that, oh, good, we're good. It's all done. And you ask people that live in Colorado, that live in Michigan, that live in Washington, Oregon, California, Arizona, Nevada, these are all places that have had some fairly strong laws allowing for the recreation and medical use there are plenty of places in those states where you do not want to be, you don't want to get pulled over, you don't want to get caught, even with a legal amount. Um, so I just wanted to bring that point up. I'm really glad that there are some places in Kansas where they're actually starting to have a little bit of common sense. All right, I will let you resume if anybody wanted to, to comment on my comment. Otherwise, keep on going. Uh, and this is Mandy again, um, and, and that's something that I want to bring out, uh, a point that I want to bring up 
um, about Kansas is uh, there is areas of, of Kansas uh, where cannabis uh, possession has been decriminalized. Uh, the town close to me, um, Lawrence, which is uh, Rockshaw Jayhawk, I've, got to, I've just got to throw that out there, sorry, um, but at home of the University of Kansas and uh, Haskell Nations Indian uh, University, um, and then, uh, you know, it, it's more to such a diverse community, especially uh, in comparison to the other surrounding uh, communities. And, you know, it, and it's just, it's, it's, it's mind-blowing to see that in one town it, you can get caught with up to an ounce as long as it's not in separate baggies and you don't have scales, but, you know, just with possession of just anything under one ounce, and it's, and it's the equivalent of a, of a, of a ticket, um, and you handle it through a municipal court. But then if you go to a town 15, 20 miles away or the next county over, you're looking at some serious issues like what Pamela is looking at. And um, in, in, in Kansas, I think that, um, once again, uh, I think if we look at, um, a model that has worked uh, with some, some success because obviously none of these laws in any state are perfect. Uh, this, we're still in the infancy of trying to figure out how to go about this and how to get it done, the, the, you know, and I finger quote this, the right way. Um, but if we look at how Colorado was successful, and I, and I believe, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, California uh, has similar instances and in other states have too where one city takes an initiative, and then the other, the rest of the state tends to follow suit. And I think if we can look and identify communities in Kansas that are more progressive on these laws, then um, I think that would be a great starting off point uh, to uh, work in conjunction with what organizations like LISA are doing at the state level, uh, because I think if we uh, look at our approach, we kind of uh, take a step back and we look at how we can target both local levels as well as uh, county levels and state levels, then I think that uh, we might get a little bit more traction and, um, and see a little bit more success, especially as we're coming up, um, as we're coming up on the new set on the new session this term, and Lisa has more details about that. So if Lisa wants to take it away with that one, um, I think she has a lot of that information to offer to the conversation uh, than what I would here. Absolutely, and in fact, uh, for those who don't know, I, I'm a huge fan of Lisa's, <laughs> and uh, one of the things that is so impressive is that she introduced the bill into the Kansas legislation. And, you know, that's that's some action, folks. That's some real action. Um, but, of course, that didn't come easy, and it still isn't uh, – it's still not easy, and it's still not done. Um, Lisa, why don't you bring us up to speed with what's going on in that, uh, in that arena? Well, thank you, Joe. You know, I'm a fan of yours, too. We have the mutual fan club here. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was about a year of research um, to – Right, the Kansas Safe Access Act. Um, you know, I've not written a lot of bills before. So um, that was <laughs> basically Americans for Safe Access and their governmental uh, affairs uh, strategy people uh, came in at the end when I had it pretty much done and reviewed everything and um, gave us their two cents, which was really it was nice because obviously they do know what they're talking about. So it was nice that um, – that they that they liked what they saw that you know and they, they took a few things, but um, 
Yeah, just, you know, we looked at bills around the country. We looked at not only current legislation, but um, loopholes and things that we had seen develop uh, where patients had fallen through the cracks. And we looked at current court cases on the Supreme Court level in different states, appeals court um, decisions, um, just things, all those kind of things, and took those into consideration. Uh, white paper studies, environmental impact studies, um, learned a lot about tech. Uh, I said, you know, for somebody who doesn't even use cannabis, I know so much about cannabis technology now. Um, that, But, you know, I had to get educated in all that stuff and testing, standardization, packaging, labeling, <laughs> you know, we went through all of that. And so, and then trying to figure out, you know, because I think each state has their own needs. And you have to figure out what are the needs of your state and the people in your state and what kind of model, just like any other business model, is going to work for your, basically, if we think about this in a business way, uh, your target core consumer. And by and large, Kansas is a rural state. And so we tried to take all of those things into consideration, uh, what had worked and what hadn't worked and what we saw coming on the horizon, what was fast developing. And... uh. So, yeah, we put all that together and got the Kansas Safe Access Act, and it's 100% sustainable energy, which, as we know, Colorado did not go sustainable energy off the bat. And then they quickly learned that cannabis is not a green industry, and they went sustainable energy, but now they have a, a grandfathered-in interim kind of process, which is, has its own expense. So we just said, let's just go sustainable energy from jump. Uh, it's 100% organic. Edibles are a concern for so many people, although we know no one is going to overdose on an edible. We're all parents. Um, some of us are grandparents. I wouldn't say uh, that I was. No, yes, I was. I'm a grandmother to three. <laughs> I'm a grandmother to three. I have all the gray hair to prove it. Um, and we, we want our kids safe. And we don't want impaired drivers on the road. We want children safe. You can't regulate stupid, but you have to do the best you can. So we have we have uh, an incentive. We have educational programs um, that are part of the rollout for all kinds of things. We saw in the states like New York, um, uh, Illinois, uh, all kinds of places where there just weren't enough doctors who wanted to jump in and be part of the deal. There weren't enough doctors to recommend for the patients, uh, and they were just really lacking in education. So we have uh, an education rollout plan to actually educate. Um, the healthcare workers who are allowed to recommend, and we allow um, nurse practitioners as well. Um, and so that's an, uh, an educational program. Then on uh, impaired driving, um, we have a lot of package labeling and stuff like that too, but just to uh, encourage people like all things until you know how medicine is going to affect you, please just, you know, don't, you know, go out and get in the backhoe. Uh, save that for later. <laughs> Whatever great industrial you know, digging you may have to do, just put it off for a while. Um, and but also at the same time, that, that almost educate. sounds like common sense, Lisa. Do you think you're gonna <laughs> be able to pull it off? You would be surprised. I but, hate know, to tell you, but if you look through the the penal code and the health and safety codes <laughs> of America, there's very little of that present. Oh yeah. <laughs> 
Well, you know, don't take a bath with your hair dryer. Um, well, so, at least uh, <laughs> yeah, apparently we have to put those stuff on there. So um, we also don't want to educate the police that we do have the ruling from the Supreme Court of New Mexico that the presence of metabolites do not equal impairment, and that patients who uh, you know, medicate three times or more a day are going to have a very high level of metabolites, but they're also going to have a high tolerance. Um, and I'm very worried about these new breathalyzer uh, things. Um, well, let, let me stop you there for a second because that is one of the huge hazards that's coming down the pike in every state yeah. that has passed mm-hmm. recreational. And that case that I was talking about um, in Washington uh, that's exactly what happened. Washington State was the first uh, uh, beyond Colorado uh, to, to, you know, have a recreational law passed. And then what tends to happen is first they pass this recreational law, then they come in to uh, to, to quiet the opposition and say, well, we're going to be extra tough on impaired uh, operation of motor vehicles. And then they come up with this um, metabolite um, uh, test that was basically almost randomly created, and it, 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 uh, an individual who probably had zero tolerance was monitored, and they watched what happened and t- asked him, "How do you feel?" And they watched these the presence of these metabolites, and it had, as you know, as anybody who has ever consumed cannabis for any length of time knows that not only will your tolerance vary depending on how much cannabis you're consuming, but it'll vary based on what type of cannabis you're consuming and for what periods of time, the way you're taking it. All of these things can affect your tolerance. And the amount of metabolites present in your system has virtually nothing to do with your impairment other than there is a correlation, but it's not a direct correlation. And it's it's really upsetting to me that they're using that as a standard. It's not like alcohol at all. What? I mean, it, to, some, to some degree, in a very small way, somebody can be a huge alcoholic and have a tolerance to alcohol more than somebody who never had a drink. But with cannabis, it's so dramatic. And, and I believe if they were to just have, again, it's going to take common sense, but an actual impairment test, and it would be as simple as a as a small simulator that could go into any police car with a goggles and a and a and a joystick and a and a steering wheel and you say, Okay, get That's in the car brilliant. you're gonna take the test. Mm-hmm. I know, but that would make too much sense. And if you can pass the test, great, then you're probably not impaired. But it, it wouldn't matter what drug you're on or not. How about capability? How about performance? Why doesn't that matter? Right. Again, Joe, wow, common sense. That's what we want to teach the police because we are so terrified. No one wants impaired drivers on the road. All of us here are parents and grandparents and whatever else. We don't want impaired drivers on the road with our children. But the thing is, the science has to prevail, not this misunderstanding, the stigma, and, and whatever else. And if the police error, if their technology isn't there, if their understanding isn't there, I'm sorry, we pay them, uh, go get educated, and, and why not work with the cannabis industry? Because it, cannabis tech is revolutionary. You can't keep Absolutely. up with it every day. You cannot keep up with new tech that's, that's coming along. 
So why not have the police work with an organization like, oh, I don't know, LEAP, and go to, uh, <laughs> yeah, some of the nurses, some of, some of, right? There you go. Some of, uh, you know, uh, like the Canopy Group there in, uh, what is it, Boulder, or, or is it Denver, uh, where they work with all the upstart new companies or the, the cannabis tech companies, go to them and say, we need, like what Joe's talking about, some, you know, virtual Good old you know, horse <laughs> you know, glasses or something like that. That would be a great partnership to to push things forward. Um, it's just constantly amazing to me that uh, I was talking to a reporter about this earlier today. I said, you know, if you look, if government ran like a corporation, one thing that's always missing is innovation. Uh, in the corporate world, you're always looking to push to that next level mm-hmm. of innovation. You're always looking to see what that next thing is that's coming. How can you improve? How can you make things better? How can you stay competitive? And um, with government, it's so opposite. It's always, well, this is just the way we've always done things. Exactly. And, the good old so, boys club just seems to take Trump over everything. Yeah. yeah. Right here, little missy, we've just kind of always done it this way. We ain't never had no problem with it. So, <laughs> you know, and. Uh, well, listen, we have about 12 minutes left in the show, and I'm going to give five of those minutes to Tom Corby with the NorCal Report. I am very, very impressed with this group that we have together, and I would like to invite you to come back um, and talk some more. But I do want to give – got five more minutes. I do want to give um, that five minutes to the, you know, the most bullet points we can. Um, and I want to address um, – uh, Lisa and Dolores here. Um, Lisa, you and I spoke last Friday, uh, and I and I, I kind of reached out to you, um, in in a in a very serious tone. Uh, I, I'm I'm really frustrated with a lot of things that have gone on in our in our movement, and um, I'm also very hopeful with a lot of things that are going on in our movement. And and since I we 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 talked about you know bringing people together, bringing some of the I don't know, enlightened ones together, the ones that are able to rise above the fray and, 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 and you know, crawl out of the mud pit and, and actually, you know, look at the, the bigger picture and, and, and stand together. Well, since that time, um, I, I don't know if you heard from the beginning of the show, but uh, with Chris Lewandowski's case, um, he now has an attorney um, where he's going to withdraw his plea. And um, I've, I've gotten um, Weed for Warriors Amy Dawn's group and uh, patients at a time uh, to officially stand together um, uh, under this banner of Chris's case um, to to you know help to raise funds to show support to bring people out there uh, as, as it progresses. Um, what I want to do is is extend that you know that offer. I, I really want to have a public display. Of unity, <laughs> you know. It's yeah. just well, that's where we come in, from. Joe. And if I can jump in, please, I will. I will be brief. Um, the American cannabis nurses are very underutilized. We are highly educated. I'm also a member of Patient Out, Patients Out of Time, and I presented in Baltimore. And I know we're short, so I'm going to talk fast. Um, we are a highly educated group of nurses. We have a nurse in almost every state except Kansas. Lisa, we need some nurses. <laughs> um, every, almost every state has their, their state cannabis nurses association. 
Nurses are the number one ethically respected profession in the nation. I would urge everyone to not take any kind of plea and to come back at their public defenders and everyone else with, no, we're going to trial. The nurses are going to come testify for us because I'll tell you what, when you go up on a lab coat and you're a pissed off nurse, um, very intimidating. And we know our, we know our stuff. And I mean, we're like the rest of you. This is like the civil rights movement. Rosa Parks didn't have any money. Nobody in the civil rights movement had any money, but they did it anyway. And that's what we are. We're, we're, we're about a thousand nurses across the country and you need to be utilizing us as court support and having us. If I would have had Alice Randall O'Leary testify at my trial when my husband died from having his cannabis taken away from his glaucoma, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been found guilty. Alice would have scared that judge to death. And I've learned a few lessons since then, and I could do the same thing. And I am willing. I'm in Missouri. Um, get me there. I'll testify. But these attorneys need to be contacting us and lining us up as professional witnesses. And that in and of itself is going to intimidate the prosecuting attorneys. And we just need to keep pushing and pushing and pushing and saying, no, we are going to trial with authority. So for your first guest, God bless her, um, just stay strong, girl. Don't take a plea. It took us two years. My husband died before we ever made it to trial, which is tragic. But just keep putting it off, kicking the can down. The, we, the, the feds have to crack on this. I was talking to Mary Lynn Mathers, who's in Patients Out of Time, and our current president of the American Cannabis Nurses Association on uh, iHeartRadio last week, and she said, when is the federal government going to say, Uncle, we have science on our side, but we do, and I am not afraid of them. So please, Joe, Mandy, um, none of us can go to any of these pre-court appearances, but list us, get the attorneys to agree to put us on as professional witnesses. And tell these people to take it to trial. Don't be afraid. We have momentum and we have justice and we have science on our side. And it will encourage dropping charges. And in front of a jury. I want to bring to your attention that the human solution is very actively and aggressively putting together a legal resource, uh, a self-help legal clinic type of a resource. And tomorrow morning we're actually having a a conference about expert witnesses, about experts as a rule, not just expert witnesses, but experts. Um, Experts. And and, and that's one of the things that, um, you know, I've been saying for for years. I mean, I've testified as an expert on a number of subjects and I and I recommend everybody get qualified, you know, figure out what you what you have an expertise in. In the court, an expert witness is considered to be somebody who has more experience than the average layperson. It doesn't require a college right. degree, it doesn't require 30 years or a published work. It requires a greater experience in the, on the specific subject than the average layperson. And the judge needs to approve that. That's it. And we could all 
you know, uh, testify on something that might benefit a defendant. Um, I, well, okay, hey, I'll, I'll get in on that on conference time. tomorrow if you want. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to call you after the show, and, and I want to okay. talk to you uh, much more in okay, depth. Okay, very good. All right, you That's guys, basically um, what I wanted to get out there. Thank you. I, God, Lisa, I love you. You guys all I'll hanging there, Mandy. You're awesome. And, you Joe, you're amazing. All right. <laughs> oh, you're Take amazing, care, guys. Too. All right, you Thank guys. You. Well, um, Mandy, uh, I'm going to give you the last word on this, and then we're going to bring up Tom Corby to give his uh, NorCal report. And I'm going to ask that you guys all come back. Uh, this, there's way too much more to talk about, and we'll schedule that upcoming. Um, and, and Pamela, I'm going to go ahead and uh, cut your mic too, but thank you so much for being here. And please, you know, just just hold strong. We're here, and that's what this is all about. That's a, that's what all of this is about. So just, just hang tough. We're here with you. I'll keep you posted, Joe. I will. Please do. Beautiful. All right, Thanks. Mandy, you got the last word here. We're going to run a couple of minutes long, folks, because Tom Corby will get plenty of time to make his, uh, his update. But... Um, um, I've got to get to him before we get to the end of the show. So go ahead, Mandy. Last final final comment. All right. Yeah, um, first, I want, I want to thank everybody that took the time to come on and took the time to listen. Um, we understand that the, uh, time is valuable, and I and I do want to remind everybody listening and that's even thinking about getting involved. Um, I want it, I, I really want to emphasize that we are 100% grassroots. Um, a lot of us are volunteers, myself included. Um, and Joe, as, as you know, and, and as a lot of our panelists can attest to, these cases take a huge amount of time, huge amount of energy, and um, that time is just so precious. Um, these patients don't have another minute to wait. They don't have another day to wait. They don't have a. Uh, they don't have another week. Um, to wait while we get while we're preoccupied with trying to do damage control because of uh, monkey wrenches flying at us from left field. Um, our the time that we put into this is valuable. Uh, we all have lives. Uh, I'm a single parent and I'm a patient myself. Um, and actually, I've, I've wanted to talk to Sean about being an expert witness because after reviewing her case um, in, in her in her clinical uh, progression. Um, I there's a lot of similarities um, that I could attest to, and I and I believe 13 years of experience dealing with this beast uh, would definitely qualify me as an expert witness for her. Um, and um, in in many cases, uh, because as a patient, um, you you have to be your own doctor. Um, you have to do your homework, and uh, you have to learn how to educate others. Just so mainly to defend yourself in, in public opinion, public eye. Um, and to be heard by the, the doctors in the medical community as, as, as a valid patient. Um, so uh, I, I also want to mention, um, and, and I'll wrap this up here, um, I do want to mention that uh, one of the pages that in one of the groups that I founded uh, whenever I first became involved uh, around almost two years ago, I want to say, a um, year and a half, two years ago, uh, is Kansas for Cannabis. Uh, Mike Ritz has uh, been an awesome co-chair. He's also the co-chair here at the um, Human Solution right now, um, and he's just been a, he he's been a huge help with everything, and uh, so is quite a few people that we have uh, just interacted with. And uh, after talking with him, we decided that we're going to change the focus of that um, that group, and we're going to actually work on trying to build it towards uh, an actual nonprofit organization, and um, 
in gear as a compassionate um, access and education organization um, because ultimately that's what this is about, Joe. It's about having the compassion and us to hear that these people are patients and that their stories are true and that they do have valid medical conditions and that this is a valid medication just because, this is, like the Lord said, um, and like and, and like um, we emphasize so many times, the science is there. Um, and people, exactly. if, if people could see it for what it is, then I think that they would understand that we are not the conventional stoner stereotype portrays us to be. Um, and, and we've well, got a lot our, of our ability to document these things are huge. Uh, we're officially running overtime now, so I'm going to have to cut you loose. Uh, well, you can yeah, stay on and listen, but. Um, I'm going to bring up Tom Corby. Thank you so much, Manny Thomas. And we're going to set another date for this panel to come back in a couple of weeks. And there's going to be likely a lot more to talk about as this uh, this new uh, forming um, coalition of sorts is is seems to be coming together. At very least, we have a, a meeting of the minds that says we should all be standing together rather than uh, tearing each other apart. Um, again, thank you so much for being here, Mandy. All right, Tom you- Corby. From NorCal, sorry to cut you off. It, I, there's a delay from when I push the button and when it actually cuts off. Um, Tom Corby from NorCal, uh, you have the floor. You're in overtime, but uh, you got enough time to do your um, to do your NorCal update. Welcome to the show. Uh, I want to thank you, Joe, and Coffee Party Radio Show, and all the folks on the line. Great Donnelly night screening. Uh, I'm sorry I missed the show last week, and I could talk for an hour what's going on up here in Northern California. First of all, I want to say uh, a shout-out to Chris Lewandowski, and we'll do whatever we can uh, with the character reference letters. Uh, we'll get that where we can send that, and also uh, being about myself. Actually, I got off farms probably about, 45 years ago, uh, 1967, uh, I chose cannabis. Uh, believe me, uh, if you don't believe that uh, that is good medicine, just Google it in the cannabinoid science. Uh, yeah, in Northern California, uh, last last uh, hearing with Alex Lyons, uh, I want to talk about DAs for a minute. We all know that the DAs, most of them, uh, we'll try to screw you. Uh, you very seldom get a fair chance that are shaken in the courtrooms while we come and bear witness. D.A. Jennings here in Northern California, Butte County, is an exception to the rule that I brought out before. D.A. Jennings uh, is sympathetic with Alex's case. He feels that Alex was honest and stayed within Butte County guidelines. Uh, also, D.A. Jennings in 1996, right after the Controlled Substance Act, by the way, which is illegal in the first place, he had 12 cannabis cases. He went to trial with everyone and lost all 12. He went to the board, tried to talk to him and tell him, why are we still doing this? Why do we think, why do we all know that they're all making money on us from Big Farm all the way down? So D.A. Jennings, I would like to see him actually uh, become a D.A. here. Uh, I think I heard that D.A. Ramsey's, uh, maybe this is going to be his last year. Uh, So Alex Lyons was reluctant uh, 
uh, Joe, to uh, allow D.A. Jennings more time to build his case to go on to trial because D.A. Jennings is working with him and actually uh, sits down with us, has meetings, and I sit there and advocate with them what we do. So uh, Alex Ryan is going to go on to his trial right in this conference at 1.30 p.m. tomorrow. Uh, it's the number one court street right here in Oregon, California. Uh, Joe and I always uh, say that local court support is always uh, requested a 50-mile radius if you pick town to best come, not only for our defendants and Paul, Paul Lyons with uh, Alex's dad that had the stroke. Uh, this is what happens when their son, son, 28 years old, my granddaughter says gets busted, goes to jail. Uh, he almost didn't live. Uh, he's still recovering. He'll be there tomorrow. We'll be pushing him in in a wheelchair or court support. Uh, also in the morning, I want to say, I hope I have a little time to, to three tomorrow morning, is Officer Feaster. He's the one uh, that you saw the video where he shot the guy getting out of the car. We're find, finding out now uh, that in an investigation, uh, Joe and I always talk about due process prevails, uh, that he actually shot the guy to cover up another murder and it had to do with the collective from what we're gathering. Furthermore, on, you see my posts on Facebook, uh, Twitter, whatever, uh, that how come D.A. Ramsey's prosecuting him? D.A. Ramsey's the one that's trying to defend him and said it was an accident and it was obvious he outright shot him. He's actually, a uh, jury, uh, uh, jury was picked last Friday, Joe, and uh, he's going on to trial in the morning at 8.30. Uh, so we're going to go in the morning. And uh, this is a time we're not going to wear our solidarity we don't come for that. We're going to come bear witness and let Ramsey know there we're keeping an eye on, on the injustice that's going on here. That's happening tomorrow. Oh, and don't forget to read as Donna was always saying. Uh, Trevor Alcorn, uh, I went up for Trevor uh, 2 p.m. Uh, a couple weeks ago, and I sat down next to Trevor with my wife and pan and uh, Worked out his case to uh, update and uh, uh, what's happening with uh, Trevor Alcorn and uh, like the Benos uh, children are involved. He has a sweet little girl that's involved here that he's taken care of. Uh, he was offered a uh, at his third settlement hearing. Uh, nothing ever could settle. We know that uh, he was offered one of the BS. Uh, uh, plea deals that you were offered, Joe, with the Walker misdemeanor. I told him when we, when we settle, and folks, this is really important, uh, Joseph Tully will tell you that now we're getting a diversion, and they don't think they don't know about it. They don't want you to know. What you want to get on the end of that, that, that Walker is a dismissal. And if you don't, like Joe said, if he had, and she say, Joe, if you had got a dismissal, you wouldn't have went on two more years and back to jail twice about your case. So I, I certainly would have thought about it. <laughs> I I'm a little mean spirited to, to to say I would have taken it. I would have I would have at least considered it. 
Um, but you know, you know where I'm, I'm sure coming that. from. <laughs> and, and that's just that's just amazing that we were going down there for your trial. we getting ready. For I might be related to Patrick maybe. Henry somewhere. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then you went in one day, and your case was just dismissed. Well, that's because you knew. Like well, you it wasn't tonight. just one day. It was the day after the appellate court ruled that uh, the the judge was correct in overturning my jury verdict, and that I was guaranteed a new trial. That was they didn't want to go up against a fair trial. They couldn't win a fair trial. Ah, oh, well, that's a really good point, and and that point is that we always we don't plead bargain. Our mindset is uh, nine nine five dismiss or uh, take them on to trial, and we always challenge the warrant and probable cause to search tra- traverse caution uh, traverse. Uh, when you talk about well, Tom Corby, no, you are the only guy that gets an extra ten minutes of of overtime anymore. So I am so glad to have you join us as always. Um, I'm going to give you one final parting shot, and then we got to shut this thing down. Okay. Uh, well, uh, I want to thank everybody tonight. And when we talk about the character reference letters, I have one here. It'll only take a minute to read, Joe. So, uh, this was different sure. than any. This is different than any character reference I've ever written. Uh, this is Dubuque County DBA Jennings, and this is for Alex Lyon. Uh, to uh, Jennings, uh, please consider my request to dismiss Mr. Lyon of all charges in that he was legal and followed guidelines for his 10-member collective garden and being a member and designated caretaker for the Lucky Lyons Farm, I'll vouch for that and take the stand. Also, David Allen's on the collective. Oh, I have known Alex as a friend and neighbor for approximately two years. I want to add something here, Joe, that you know. Uh, the letter, the character reference letters are more important if you knew the defendant or the prisoner before, not after the fact. Uh, and I did. Uh, I find his character to be man of honesty and integrity beyond reproach, an asset and not a liability to society. Moreover, helping others, being only 20 years old. My granddaughter's age, I'd be honored to call Alex Lyon my grandson. My wife, Donna, and I want to compliment DDH and for working together with Alex and attorney Flamino, which, by the way, we like her, Joe, and with DDA. Uh, respectfully, that would actually be DA. He's a DDA. Yeah, respectfully, Tom Corey. So uh, you can see that how this this letter is going to uh, play heavy, and Dr. Allen's uh, writing his too. So uh, I'll update everybody tomorrow. Uh, I'll be posting on uh, what happens at Alex Lyons tomorrow, and I'll make sure to get it to the calendar. And uh, we always tell people to. Uh, Use the calendar at uh, Human Solution International dot org slash calendar. Post your uh, your your uh, cases there, your stories, your meetings, and uh, you can check uh, uh, the uh, calendar there, and it gives all the updates on all the court cases coming up. Okay, I want to thank you all uh, for coming, and Joe, thank you. And uh, I was just telling my friend Dion here how we had our first radio show we started. 
back then, about four and a half years ago, we were struggling. Uh, you know, it was only the Southern NorCal chapter, just the two of us were struggling just to get somebody to come in and talk. And now we listen, we listen. We got more than one radio show, and we have all these uh, folks talking, and uh, uh, that's how far we've come. And I feel that uh, we've really gained the momentum to end prohibition. You know, once you go to jail for our plan, uh, okay, thank you, Joe, and oh, don't forget. All right, thank you so much, Tom Corby, and you are uh, also part of the Hero Club, and I want to thank everybody for joining us. I want to thank the Coffee Party Radio Network for making this possible. I want to thank Noncompliant Mary for screening our calls, and all of the guests and callers that were participating. We will see you next time. I am Willie Nelson, and the Willie Nelson Teapot Party and I endorse the human solution, supporting cannabis prisoners because no one should go to jail for a plant. Little things I should have said and done, you were always on my mind.